We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome in. Trevor Lane here for LakersNation.com. Your home for everything Lakers. Lots to talk about tonight if you're joining me live over on AMP. Thank you guys. Going to be opening up the Cullen line in just a moment. If you're watching the YouTube version of this, make sure you are subscribing there. Turn on those notifications as well. Very important. And then if you are listening to the podcast version, of course, welcome in. Make sure that you are giving us that five-star rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. Great way to help out the show. Lots to talk about today. We've got an updated injury report for the Lakers. Gives us some hope. We may see a closer to complete Lakers team, slightly closer, I guess, to complete Lakers team. Uh, as we're recording this, it'll be tomorrow. If you're listening to the podcast or watching the YouTube version of this, it'll be tonight for the game against the Memphis Grizzlies. We have Pau Gasol's jersey retirement as well. We'll need to talk about that a little bit. We are keeping an eye on Kings Pelicans as we get this show started. Nodded at 59 at halftime. The Lakers would certainly appreciate a Pelicans loss in this game. Tons and tons to get into around the Los Angeles Lakers. Once again, I'll be opening up the call-in line momentarily. Uh, let, let's start with this. So I chose for the song for this intro over on AMP. We can pick a song to intro the show with. And today I chose When I Come Around by Green Day, uh, one of my favorite bands. And I picked that song because, well, when I come around, no need to search the world around. Yeah, we'll know when D'Angelo Russell is, is back in action. There's been so much talk about when is D'Lo coming back? How is he still out? How was Dennis Schroeder able to play the same game that his ankle touched the ground? How was he able to play the next game? Miss no time at all with a grotesque-looking ankle injury. D'Lo, just a little tweak, and he's missed five games. Well, not everything is equal inside that ankle there. Sometimes how far the ankle turns isn't an indication of how much damage was done. But nonetheless, we've had all this discussion, all this talk about when, a oh, when is D'Angelo Russell finally going to come back to the Los Angeles Lakers. And now we get this update that D'Angelo Russell might indeed be coming around tomorrow against the Memphis Grizzlies. He has been upgraded to questionable. This would be a big deal for a Lakers team that, quite frankly, has very obviously been missing a lead ball handler. You could see it. They're just they're at least one ball handler short. And let's face it, they're really missing their two lead ball handlers because LeBron James is out as well. But D'Lo getting him back, I think, would go a long way towards stabilizing this Lakers team, toward providing a little bit more shooting from the outside, uh, some different looks that you can provide. 
teams that are sagging off of Dennis Schroeder can't do that against D'Lo. Not to say that Schroeder hasn't done some good things in D'Lo's absence, because he has, but Schroeder and D'Angelo Russell just give you a very different look out on the floor. You can do different things with Russell than you can pull off with Schroeder. So it's going to be important for the Lakers to get him back. Hopefully it happens against the Memphis Grizzlies. Again, five games hasn't been easy without him. You know, the Lakers did pick up the win against the Golden State Warriors. That was huge. My oh my, would Lakers fans be down in the dumps right now if they did not get that win? Dropping the game to the Minnesota Timberwolves, though, or the Lakers, they need to find a way to start stacking wins. They can't do this one win, one loss thing anymore. Two wins, two losses. That has to fall by the wayside. They've got to figure out a way to stack wins. And the way you're going to do that is by having a healthier team. Now, I will say this, not as big of a deal as getting D'Angelo Russell back, but still worth noting, Mo Bamba now out with an ankle injury will miss the game against the Memphis Grizzlies. Assuming Steven Adams is out, you should be able to withstand this. No Brandon Clark as well for the Grizzlies. Terrible stuff for him. Achilles injury. He, his season is over. So I don't know that this would have been a Mo Bamba game anyway, but the Lakers will have no Bamba. Um, I don't know if maybe they need to invest in some ankle braces or what, but the ankles have not been kind to the Lakers this season for whatever reason. They just continue to suffer one ankle injury after another. All right. We'll bring in guests to call in in just a moment. It's like I'm frozen here on my end, though. Let me see if I can get this fixed and we'll bring somebody in in just a moment here. Um, one of the other topics that I do want to get into around this team, and I talked about this a little bit on the last podcast, is Rui Hachimura, his play. I know a lot of Lakers fans have been really frustrated with him, haven't been happy with what they've seen out of him. And so that's something that we, I'm sure, will be discussing here as we bring in our guests. There we go. We're going to bring in our callers here. Oh, and we've already got one jumping in. There we go. And first up on the show, Drew Potter. Drew, how are you doing? I, I don't I don't know, Trevor. I, you know, I was doing pretty well, but a friend of mine, he, he gave me some numbers that kind of discouraged me. I'm not gonna lie to you. Oh no. Uh what are what are those numbers? He said he sent me a text. I don't know when made him send me this. I was having an amazing day. He sent me a text. He says, you know, if the refs give us those calls versus Dallas, Sack. Boston and Philly, the mm-hmm. battle on uh, Western and the Philly. Yep. The Lakers could pretty much be, uh, what was it, 35 and 29 or something like that now, which would be good enough for the five. I'm like, you know, I, who wants to hear that right now? Why do you text me with that information? Of course I know that. But besides that, I've had a decent day, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the unfortunate reality of the Lakers season. They've had so many games that were right there where they, I think they could have won. You could say they should have won. And um, some games that were taken away from them by by the officials. And yeah, they would be easily a middle of the pack team. And that's to me, like you can look at that glass is half empty and you could say, well, man, this team shouldn't even have to be fighting right now to get into the playoff mix right now. They're sitting as now the 12 seed because Portland won tonight. Portland has some really tough games coming up, though. But glass is half full. I think the quality of this team isn't reflective by their their standing like this is a I think that that says that this is a better team than being the 12 seed right now would indicate 
and gives me some optimism that, hey, if they do get into the playoff mix, they can really give some teams some problems because they were right there against some pretty high-quality squads over the course of the season. So I guess depending on how you want to look at it, right, that maybe I'm uh, just trying to make myself feel a little better there, but I do think this team is better than what their record suggests. And then it makes you wonder, you know, will LeBron have taken a game off here or there? Mm-hmm. You know, you never know what would happen with the flip. But no, you're right. It shows that the right then, you know, if the record's better, do we make the same moves we make? So all's it all's well that hopefully ends well. Um but I, I guess my question for you, can I, never too soon to really look ahead, of course. Um so, you know, operating under this assumption that let's say the front office goes to the summer and says, you know what? Um, this team, and not saying, you know, we're making a, a championship run, but they, you know, make the playoff, they're competitive. They say, you know what, this team can compete with the full offseason under their belt. Let's bring Brad, you know, D'Lo, you know, Reese, maybe Arena's provision, possibly there, unfortunately. Rui, I guess under this scenario, what would be the biggest, I don't know if you go draft or, you know, Lakers love to trade the first round picks yeah. or offseason need, meaning, you know, I don't know if we would have a Dennis back next year, especially in a vet minimum type of deal. I mean, it's possible, it's possible we take something you know bigger than that. Are we looking for another ball handler because LeBron's a year older? Are we pushing Reeves into there? Are we have we solved the backup big? You know, is Bomba somebody you kind of keep around? Does 80 still need to play down there in the pain? Uh, of course, there's always the wing. What do you think would be the biggest offseason need if we try to bring back most of this roster next year? Yeah, if you, if you bring back most of the roster, I'm still looking at the wing position. I am with as well as Troy Brown has played, I'm starting to get concerned that he, the Lakers might be priced out on him. So let's say you decide you're going to bring back Rui and you're going to pay him whatever. Maybe you pay him $10 million, whatever he winds up getting. You bring back D'Lo. Okay, that costs you $30 million. Next thing you know, you're you're well above the cap. You're you're getting into the tax and, and all that kind of stuff, which is fine if you feel like this is a team that, that can contend, and that's what I'm in favor of. Just bring back this squad for the most part. But if you lose Troy Brown, suddenly you're looking fairly thin on the wing. And this is a team that I think could already use a little bit more help on the wing. Losing Dennis Schroeder, possible that somebody will give him, again, I think he's been pretty solid for the Lakers, possible somebody will give him more than the minimum, and the Lakers might have a hard time paying that. They will have, potentially, a taxpayer mid-level exception to use. You could get Troy Brown to potentially take that. Um, Maybe that's something you could do there, especially if you can get Austin on his early bird rights and you don't have to get into the arenas provision, which would mean you'd be giving Austin around Essentially, you'd be giving him, like, let's say you did a four-year deal. It'd be four years, you know, 50-ish million or so. You'd you'd wind up paying him like 11 million a season, 12 million a season, something like that. So if you don't have to burn your exception on an Austin Reeves contract, then you could use perhaps the taxpayer to try to hang on to Troy Brown. And he's actually who I would prioritize because of that wing spot. I do wonder if they're going to be in a position where they have to make a decision between say Troy and Dennis, it's really the guys that are on the minimum contracts that are going to be the most difficult to bring back. Whereas like Lonnie Walker, non-bird rights can at least get you to pay him, you know, seven and a half million, something right around that range. And maybe that's enough to hang on to him. And just with the wing position being so difficult to find, that would be my biggest concern for the offseason is that you lose Troy Brown and then you find yourself needing, because I think they already need another wing player. You need not one, but probably two wings and you don't have a whole lot of spending power to do it that would be i think the biggest hurdle for this team to to overcome and then if you lose dennis in the mix well then you got to go replace the backup guard position but 
I think you have an easier time doing that than replacing what Troy Brown's bringing right now. And then I know, I know you, you know, you talked about it in the earlier video. You're probably going to get a million questions about it tonight. But as far as the the Rui versus Troy thing, one one aspect of it that's kind of interesting. Of course, like you mentioned, the front office traded what three second round picks for Rui, mm-hmm. so you know they're incentivized to get him more minutes to see if he's a, a future piece and so on and so forth. But again, Troy has started. Fine. Troy's been shooting lights out, defending, defending decently. Is there a scenario? Where if the front office is forced to make a choice between the two, that Troy is that choice. Asking because originally gave away the three picks, but in the Thomas Bryant trade, didn't we get back not those three picks, but two or three picks of our own for Thomas Bryant to Denver? So it kind of kind of cushions the blow from the review. And of course, we have what uh, somewhere north of fifteen games left. But if the trend continues, or Rui isn't necessarily. Yep, I I lost him there, but but the the point remains. Yes, yeah. So the the challenge is how do you keep them both, or how do you keep Troy Brown over Rui? Um, he's right that there are there is a sort of sunk cost right in Rui Hachimura, where you gave up three second round picks in order to get him. The and he's right also that the Lakers got back three second round picks in the Thomas Bryant trade. So you can say, okay, cool, we're we're good, we're back to even. Now you did give up a second in order to get Mobamba. And so you wind up, you know, you're still down a second round pick, but you are in some way committed to Rui Hachimura. And the word coming out of the Lakers camp right after the trade was, we're not trading for him to let him go, which of course they're not going to, they're not going to say that, right? They wouldn't go the other way. They wouldn't just say, oh, well, we're trading for this guy, but we don't intend to sign him this summer. No, they're going to, they're going to say everything is fantastic the sun is shining and Rui is going to be a Laker long-term and that's our goal. And that's our plan and and all of that plans change sometimes. So again, you wouldn't expect them to say anything other than what they said about Rui being a Laker long-term, but nonetheless, they did pay something significant. I think three second round picks, even if you got three second rounders for Thomas Bryant, that's still, you, you gave up stuff in order to get Rui. You went after him for a purpose. You needed another wing. You went and got him. Rui is making $6.2 million this year. Then you're going to have to pay him after that. The problem is, if the Lakers do decide to bring back this team, you won't necessarily have the opportunity to choose Rui or Troy Brown. For example, let's say that Rui makes is going to make, I don't know, let's throw a number that I think is a little bit high out there. Let's say $14 million. Let's say that's the going rate. And maybe, who knows, maybe over the next 17 games, Rui plays great, and that's his market rate. That's certainly possible. But let's say that Rui is going to cost $14 million. Let's say Troy Brown is also going to cost $14 million. Again, just throwing a number out there. So, and I'm not expecting him to get that. I'm throwing it out there because that's bigger than your mid-level exception number, right? So let's assume it's bigger than the mid-level exception. If that's the case, then your choice here, well, it's you have no choice. It's Rui because you can't pay Troy Brown that, right? You won't be able to give him that. You don't have bird rights on him. You will have bird rights on Rui, so you'll be able to go over the cap in order to pay him because you traded for Rui. So you'll be able to pay Rui Hachimura what it takes in order to keep him. For Troy Brown, you're limited. You only had him on a one-year deal. This is the Malik Monk situation all over again. So Troy Brown, you can pay him 
a minimum salary. You can give him a modest raise on that on that minimum salary. I think you pay him um, 120% of the current salary. So you can give him without just with his non-bird rights. So you can do something there. Or you dip into one of your exceptions. Either your taxpayer mid-level, which if you're going to pay D'Lo, if you're going to pay Austin, if you're going to pay Rui, if you're going to pay these other guys, if you're going to keep Mo Bamba, most likely you're going to be a tax-paying team, which means you're not going to have your full mid-level exception. Instead, you're going to have your taxpayer mid-level, which will probably come in, uh, it'll be around seven-ish million, something like that. Then if you somehow stay below that and you don't bring back a bunch of players, okay, then you would have access to your full mid-level exception and your biannual exception. Maybe you get Troy Brown with a biannual, but even that be a bit of a surprise. It's not a very stacked free agent class. So the Lakers' ability to keep Rui Hachimura is much greater than their ability to keep Troy Brown Jr. If other offers are out there, they can pay Rui what it takes in order to keep him. Not so with Troy Brown because of the bird right situation. And that's going to be, I think, frustrating for Lakers fans to hear that it's the Malik Monk situation all over again. But this is the downside to signing a bunch of guys to one-year veteran minimum contracts. The same thing with Dennis Schroeder. If he gets a big offer out there, um, the Lakers aren't going to be able to offer anything near. And by big, I mean, even if it's five, six, seven million, whatever, the Lakers probably aren't going to be able to offer that unless they want to burden one of their exceptions to do it. They don't have bird rights to protect them. That's part of the reason why I liked all the moves they made at the trade deadline so much is you get D'Lo, you have his bird rights, you can pay him. You get Malik Beasley, right? You'll have bird rights on him. You also have a team option for next season for $16.5 million. Uh, Rui, you have bird rights. You get to, you can keep him if you want. Uh, Mo has a, a team option for 10 plus million, 10.3 million, I believe, off the top of my head. So you'll be able to keep these guys if you want. And I'm sorry, I misspoke on Mo. It's non-guaranteed, uh, which there is a difference there, but non-guaranteed for Mo Bamba and again, you have the ability to keep him. That's what's critical about all of these guys they added. Unfortunately, Troy Brown is the guy that could wind up being a casualty of the cap situation. So something to consider there. Um, he's played great, though. He's been great for the Lakers. All right. Let me bring in another uh, guest here to chat. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And again, what Troy Brown has done, I think, has been underrated on the Lakers this year. Uh, Millen, coming in. How are you doing? Hey, how's it going, Trevor? Going well. Going well. Keeping an eye on Pelicans and Kings. This is a close one right now. And, of course, we're hoping the Kings win, which would create a four-way tie that the Lakers would be in uh, in the West. But uh, no De'Aaron Fox, so we'll see if the Kings can pull this off. But, uh, but what's on your mind this evening? Yeah, I'm actually staring at this NBA standings every day, too, and I see this four-way tie developing, and it gives me all the hope in the world that we can get into this playing spot as soon as possible. We need uh, we need the Pelicans to cool off here and stop hitting shots, and the Kings to, to pull away and, and win this thing. Um, but yes, I, I think that they can get into the mix. I think they can do it, but going to have to win a number of games and going to need some other teams like the Pelicans to go ahead and lose some for the Lakers as well. But uh, what's on, what's on your mind this evening? Yeah. So I wanted to talk a lot about the roller coaster of a season we've been having yeah. and some of the inconsistencies that I've been seeing, maybe starting off with like how a lot of the times we see like these large leads that are being either blown or we like come back from them. But there's a lot of inconsistency. Like for example, like, Starting after the trade deadline, we had that Portland game where they went on that three-point slaughter and made, like, 17 three-pointers in the first mm-hmm. half, which was their, like, franchise eye. And then later we see, we come in and we play the Memphis, and we see them come into the paint and make 86 point, pain points in the paint. And these type of, and then, on the other hand, we are doing well where we came back to the Mavs down 27, and you know, we come here and beat um, Golden State, even after blowing a twenty-point lead, but these inconsistencies kind of give me—I um, don't—I don't have a true sense of where we're at as a team because we're going back and forth. I think some of that isn't just a Lakers team thing. I think some of that is the NBA in general. We're seeing a lot of comebacks across the league. We're seeing no lead is safe. I mean, look, just last night we saw. The Grizzlies dropped 51 on the Clippers in the third quarter. It looked like the game was over, and then the Grizzlies couldn't hit anything in the fourth, and the Clippers came back and and won it. Um, And the Grizzlies had come back from down a bunch. It's just the nature of the NBA this season. Part of that is the take-foul rule has prevented teams from stopping fast breaks, and so that's creating more scoring opportunities in transition. But um, nonetheless, I do – look, the Lakers season has indeed been a roller coaster. It's been a roller coaster game to game win one, lose one, you know, we're kind of, we're, we're high, we're happy. We're yay. This is great. They won the game. And then the next game it's, Oh my gosh, how did they lose this? How do you lose to the wolves in a must win game? And so we are certainly riding that roller coaster and it's also happening within games. Like, like you mentioned, again, I don't know that I can say it's just a Lakers thing. I do think the better teams find a way to be a bit more consistent, consistently good, but look like even the Celtics who have been the best team in the NBA they're on a three-game losing streak, and three games ago, they were playing the Nets. They were up 28, and the Nets, who don't have KD anymore, don't have Kyrie, 
came back and won. Like, I think it's just the NBA this season. Overall, it's probably good for the product because it creates a more, you know, more exciting games and the sense that you can never switch it off. But it's frustrating for fans when you see your team give up a lead like that and it's and it's nerve-wracking. But I think it's just sort of what the league is now with how many teams are shooting so many threes. It just creates that kind of variability within a game. Yeah, I totally agree. And the three-point shooting has definitely gone up and teams definitely know how to um, just increase scoring in general. But I think as like a coach and as a unit, as a team, we need to find ways to recover. And that's like what a championship mentality is. Yeah. And I think we have it. I definitely think we have it. That's why we've been able to come back. And I think our team definitely has fight because I saw like the greatest comeback wins in Lakers franchise history and something. And it was like, we were down 20 and some of the top two were us coming back down 23 to Portland and us coming back 27 to Dallas. And that was just like the season itself. So it shows that we have fight in us. Oh yeah. They, I mean, those, those create very memorable moments, very exciting moments that they're um, because you're not expected to do that. Right. You're not expected. If, uh, for example, like if you are, if, if you look in soccer, right. Why is it such a big deal? when the goalkeeper saves a penalty kick. Well, because the shooting, the shooting player is expected to score every single time, even though the hit rate is actually like 85%, you expect it to happen. If your team, your keeper saves a penalty kick late in the game and you wind up winning the game because of that, it's a huge moment that you're always going to remember. Whereas if your guy in the, in the 15th minute gets a PK and, and converts it and they score like, okay, that's just another goal on the season. It's not something that's going to be as memorable because it just it doesn't happen as, as often. Again, the, the big comebacks are coming more often, but coming back from 28 down or whatever, like that stuff that we're, we're not conditioned to be, be used to at this point. So those are the moments that are definitely going to stick out. We're going to remember and, uh, and probably look back fondly on, um, even as there's a few negative ones in there as well. Yeah, and one thing that I think we can do is like, I mean, one thing we can ask like Darvin Ham to do is maybe make like moves faster mm-hmm. as a coach, like to um, switch players in and out and try to um, adapt and overcome, as you always say, like adapt and overcome to blown leads. Like once you see another team go on like an eight, eight point spurt, eight to 10 point spurt, you need to make a move fast kind of. And I think like, if like, if there's a moment like, where they're driving into the paint, scoring at a high high rate, you need to bring in that two guard, that two center lineup, maybe like an AD Wenya and AD Mobamba type thing. Or if we see that they're shooting like crazy on the outside, we need to bring Jared Vanderbilt out or someone that can switch on to these shooters. So and make that move fast. Which I know that um, Darvin M is like a rookie head coach, but I think that's one of our biggest flaws. Agreed. And I I do think there have been a number of games where the Lakers have just been a beat too slow in terms of making their their changes, like one possession too slow, Um, particularly with the timeouts. When the the team gets in trouble, I feel like Darvin is, from my perspective, Darvin's waiting a bit too long to call the timeout to get his team uh, that kind of help that they need, right? To switch things up. And he's sticking with a rotation, a lineup that isn't working for probably one possession too long. And there's been plenty of times where it's burned the Lakers, where you can tell they're struggling. They come back down on offense, they miss. And you've seen, you talked about how all the variants in games, you talked about all the big comebacks. 
teams are really capitalizing on any missed shot, any kind of miscue. They're using that to get into at least semi-transition, force mismatches, attack from there. And so a lot of times you wind up giving up a good scoring opportunity. We saw it again in their last game. And so that will often lead to a three. And the next thing you know, instead of you're down five and you're calling a timeout and riding the ship from there, now you're down eight and you're trying to, to build back for much further down. So that's that's been my pet peeve. But I, I think I agree with you as well that sometimes the lineups haven't been great. But that's also what's to be expected from a rookie head coach. So I, I try to cut him a little bit of slack, but in these must-win situations, it can it can indeed be frustrating. Yeah, and in some context, um, I know you also like coach like junior high or like middle school kids, yeah. I think. And is that, that's correct, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I coached for years and years and years. Um, I worked with high school kids as well, but primarily coached junior high. Yeah, and actually, me personally, I also have been coaching junior high kids for the last like three, four years now. And um, one thing I learned is like when I was when I first started out, the game was kind of a little fast as a coach because maybe as a player I can see the game kind of slow down because I played for so long. Mm -hmm. But as a coach, the game is kind of fast, and so my substitutions would be slower and my timeouts would be slower. But as I got experience, it kind of I'm starting to get a click on when I should call these. And I think Darwin is just kind of facing that at a much higher level at the NBA level. So I mean, we should cut him some slack, but we need these wins right now. And we know LeBron is in need of this too. So hopefully yes. we figure this out fast. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The more wins they rack up right now, the better chance they have of getting LeBron back. Hopefully he'll be ready to go by playoff time. But uh, Hey, thank you for, for coming on here and, uh, and joining the show. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me back on. All right. Have a great yeah. evening. All right, let's bring in another caller here. I know I got plenty of you in here that are waiting. We're going to get through as many as we can this evening. Darvin, you know, I, I feel like Darvin Ham sometimes gets a little bit too much grief, too. And, and part of it is just the nature of the beast, right? When Darvin makes the right rotation or he makes the right change, we don't necessarily notice it as much as oh my gosh, how is this unit still on the floor and they're getting crushed and why is he not changed right then? It's emergency situation and it sticks out like a sore thumb where if he makes a, an adjustment, that doesn't always stand out. And sometimes he's not going to get credit for those situations. Again, not saying he's been perfect, not saying he hasn't made plenty of mistakes, certainly has. But I also think that sometimes when he does make the right decision, he doesn't get credit for it because well, it doesn't you don't notice it quite as much. All right, joining me is Mamba Boy. Welcome in. How are you doing? Hey, Trevor. I'm doing well. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Uh, what's uh, what's on your mind this evening? Hey, uh, I just wanted to uh, defend Rui a little bit because I've seen he's been getting a lot of hate recently. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so the way I look at it is that, well, first of all, he's a young player. And for once in a long time, we finally have a, a young player on our squad that we can try to actually keep and not just throw away in a trade. So, and uh, I do think that his role has been very inconsistent um, because when he first got here, he was starting. And I think he was playing very well alongside LeBron and D'Angelo Russell. I think one of the main issues with him right now is that he played a lot of minutes with uh, 
Lonnie Walker, and I'm not a huge Lonnie Walker fan. I feel like he's a kind of like a shot chucker. He shoots a lot. Like whenever the ball gets to him, he'll shoot it, mm-hmm. and he doesn't pass it. So I think that's one of the things that because Rui's game is very passive. He needs like to be set up. He needs to be past the ball. And I feel playing alongside Lonnie, he doesn't get those opportunities like he used to. Well, and it's a bit of a duplicating skill set there because isn't like what Rui's best at ideally is probably putting the ball in the basket, right? And that's that's also yeah. what Lonnie is best at, right? And and so both of them are kind of wired that way where they're going to take their man. Ideally, Rui is going to attack on a closeout, right? You get somebody to close out to the three-point line. He's going to take a dribble or two into the paint or into the towards the rim and then pull up and, and shoot the jumper. Lonnie also likes that little mid-range jumper. He'll take it. He'll take the three sometimes. Um, he's a bit better getting getting to the rim and finishing. I think he's he's a bit more athletic finishing at the rim, Lonnie has, than, than Rui. But I, so I think that's part of it. But the reason why you're seeing them on the floor so much is in part because of injuries. I don't think it's necessarily that yeah. I feel like that's going to get the best out of them. But um, yeah, you know, it's it's when you look at what Rui has had to go through through 17 games, I had somebody make this comment on a previous show. It's a little reminiscent of Kyle Kuzma in that from season to season, remember Kuzma went from uh, starter to bench scorer to suddenly they just needed him to defend and rebound. Uh, he's, I mean, he bounced all over the place through all these different roles. And we're kind of seeing the same thing with Rui. He went from being a starter and playing alongside LeBron and playing with Russell Westbrook to suddenly Westbrook is gone and these other new guys are in. And then suddenly LeBron is gone and then D'Lo is gone and he's on the bench and he's with everything has been just constantly changing around him. And that can be difficult for a player. But I also think part of this, part of why people have been upset with Rui, it, it just simply comes down to, he's not shooting well, right? Like that's, and that's what we noticed the most is does the guy's shot go in or not? And Rui right now is shooting 43% from the field as a Laker and 27% from three. And so because that answer is no, the shot hasn't been dropping as much, people will look at that and just assume that that's, that gets spread out over his entire game. Oh, he must not be a good player because the ball's not going in the basket. And that's where some of the criticism is. All it takes is a hot shooting streak, and then suddenly Rui is back in everybody's good graces, right? Yeah, that that's actually a great comparison, Trevor, with uh, Kuzma. Um, because we got rid of him. And then this year we wanted him back, right? Yeah. That's um yeah, so I think we're messing up by like just like being so negative on Rui. And like you said, it was seventeen games so far. Uh, he hasn't been in that negative in my eyes. I think uh once D'Angelo comes in, I think Lonnie will you know, cut his minutes and I think uh Rui I believe Rui will do better with that. Not saying it's all Lonnie's fault, right? Because his shot hasn't been falling, but I do think he needs more touches. He barely shoots the ball, mm-hmm. but I think with more touches, he'll be more uh, consistent. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I think he needs time to really settle into his role, whatever that role is going to be. And I don't think, I think people get frustrated in part because of just the general tension around the team. We all know what's at stake, right, with every game. So we're living and dying with every possession. So that's creating a little bit more frustration around anybody who's not playing well, a little bit more celebration of anybody who is playing well. Everything is magnified right now because it's all on the line. 
And so I think that's part of it too. I do think it's way too early to just be out on Rui. I don't look, let's, I think if he keeps playing the way that he has and the shots not falling, then he's probably not going to get as much money as he wants in, in free agency. But I also don't think that it's out of the question for him to go on a streak where he does start scoring the ball, where he does really turn things around. And Darwin even mentioned this recently, said that he's been asking Rui to focus on rebounding and his rebounding has indeed improved since his time with the Washington Wizards. So I think it's too early to be out on Rui Hachimura. I'm hopeful that there's good things to come from him. And even if there's not this season, there may be next season because like you said, he's young. There's plenty of time for him. He's barely 25 years old. This is a guy who could be a Laker for the next five years easy. Um, and so there might be, you might have to kind of settle in and let him grow and let him get stabilized uh, on the team and in the organization. So good point though, that, you know, it's, it's not, it's not great to just dismiss Rui so soon. I think he needs to be given a, a little bit more leeway. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, regardless, we should resign him just to have that contract. Right. Maybe for a trade later on. But yeah, and also uh, one last question. I just wanted yeah. to see your prediction. So I predict we're going to be in the seventh or eighth seed um, by the end of the season. Uh, so that's like a play in. If you were to predict, what, what would you be your seven through 10 of the teams left? Seven through 10 on the teams left? Yeah, I mean, I would say so looking at the standings right now, seven through 10 is Mavs, Clippers, Pelicans, Jazz. I'm going to say the Jazz drop out and the Lakers go in, and and otherwise that's the group. I'm going to say Portland doesn't make it, even though they won tonight. They have a a tough stretch coming up. So I'm going to say the four in the seven through ten. Maybe Minnesota drops out and Dallas jumps up to six. But in any event, I'm going to say the Lakers are in the mix there. And I would love to see the Lakers get up to the seven or eight seed so that it's a, a double elimination situation where they have two opportunities to to win one game. I don't know if they get there. They're two games back of the Clippers, two games back of the Mavs. You need some teams to, to lose to do it. But uh, I'm going to say the Lakers finish either eight or nine, and there's a big difference between those two things. And uh, and they're right there in the mix, and then we're going to be sweating it out during uh, during the play. And that's, that's my prediction for now. Yeah, uh, I just thought that there's a possibility with seven and eight, we could play the Clippers because they've been falling. Um, I, they're still trying to figure out. I've been watching the games recently, and they've their offense is terrible. Their defense is less, less like basically. They've been trying to figure out with Westbrook. And I think it's a very good possibility that could be a 7 8 matchup, which would be very interesting. Um, but yeah, I hope, hopefully, I'm kind of hoping that happens just so we could beat them. And then uh, hopefully, they end up uh, off the playoffs. Well, there's, there's a lot on the line, obviously. If, if the Lakers don't beat them, oh my gosh, we will never hear the end of it. Uh, if they do beat them, though, obviously, that would, that would be really because the Lakers haven't beat the Clippers in a little while. So it would certainly be nice to get sweet revenge by by knocking the other team out of uh, out of the play and that other those other guys that like to say they're from L.A. So, yeah, that's uh, that, and that very well could happen. We could wind up with that kind of matchup in the play-in, and that would be fascinating you know that would get a ton of eyeballs that might be that might be even more watched than that lakers warriors play-in game a couple seasons ago which was did crazy ratings lakers clippers in the play-in with everything on the line oh my goodness that would uh that would draw a ton of eyeballs the nba would be so excited yeah 
like the chances though, because um, they don't have anyone to defend Davis, and I just think it's a great match. And this is a different team that the ones we've been playing against with them. Well, they do get to play the Clippers again before the end of the season, so we'd get a we'd get a look at that. Yeah, I saw it was like a back to back. Uh, yeah. I don't know if LeBron will probably play that, but yeah, uh, those were all what I want to talk about today. I appreciate all the content you bring up. Keeps me busy. Well, hey, thank you very much. I appreciate it, and thank you for for coming on the show. All right, cool. Thanks, man. All right, have, have a great night. All right, man. Lakers, Clippers in the plan. I would be, there's so much on the line. And my concern with that would be if the Lakers won, a lot of people would you'd hear it from everybody else around the NBA. So what? It's the Lakers. They beat the Clippers, whatever. You know, whereas if the Lakers lost, we would never, ever, ever hear the end of it, right? Like there's never hear the end of it from the Clippers side. And that would not be fun. So I would be nervous, not just for do the Lakers advance, do they get into the playoffs proper and all that kind of stuff, but also just because of, that situation that we would be we would be dealing with should the Lakers not win that one would not be fun would not be good times let's hope we're not inadvertently speaking that into existence or anything like that all right let me bring in uh, another caller here there we go got somebody coming in um Clippers Lakers man that would be an interesting matchup would be a very interesting matchup and Again, it would be nerve-wracking. By the way, 94-79, Kings up 15. Nope, 96-79. Kings up uh, up now 17 on the uh, the Pelicans to finish out the third. So we'll see if they can hang in there and get it done, uh, get the win that the Lakers need them to get. Joining me is the Texan Bear. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing, Trevor? I'm doing well. Doing well. Um What's on your mind this evening? Um, I just kind of wanted to call in to kind of chat about AD and mm-hmm. kind of his performance lately and maybe if you think that it's sustainable or not because I know, you know, he came back from the injury and it took him a little while to ramp up and I feel like a lot of people weren't happy about that. But, I mean, from any player who takes an injury, you know, it's going to take a while for him to get back to it. And it seems like he finally is. But do you think once LeBron comes back that that will cause some sort of shift in the rotate, shift in basically, you know, ball dominance and stuff like that, who's getting the ball um, towards the end of games? Do you think that at all will kind of throw off our chemistry? Because it's not looking good that, you know, LeBron's going to be out for the foreseeable future until the end, towards the end of the season. Do you think that by any chance when LeBron comes back, they could kind of screw up the rhythm that we may be having, even though, you know, the rhythm that we have, a player comes out every other, you know, week or something like that. Yeah, I think it, it absolutely could. It, it definitely could. That is that is very much a thing where you look at it and you say, well, LeBron coming back, that's a good thing for the Lakers. And it is, but it, yeah. it, it doesn't change the fact that it does require an adjustment, right? And so the Lakers over the next yeah. few weeks, they're going to get used to not playing with LeBron. They're going to get used to playing around Anthony Davis. They're going to get used to the rotations with the guys that they've got currently. And when LeBron comes back, that's going to, that's going to be a change. So it may take a few games for them to get used to that. But the key here is number one, yes, you want LeBron back just because he's a good player, but for this Lakers team to get where they want to go, you, you go through that reacclimation period easily. You, I mean, you just, you accept it and you deal with it and you go through it because you need AD playing at this level while LeBron plays 
at a very, very high level. And that's something that we have seen this season. We just haven't seen those two things happen at the same time. We've seen LeBron play at an MVP level. We've seen Anthony Davis play at an MVP level. Can they both do it at the same time? We haven't seen that yet with this group. We saw it in 2020. So that's going to be the big question. But yes, there will be an adjustment. Hopefully, LeBron can get back with at least a few games before the play-in or playoff startup because you're going to need some time to work through that, that stuff and really hit the ground running. I, I don't think it'll be a long adjustment because they've played a lot of games with them and everything, but it is going to be there. It is going to be something to, to be aware of. Yeah, and it's definitely helpful that LeBron is, you know, you put him in and he can do whatever you need him to yeah. do. It's not a certain player just comes in and does one thing. But that's what all I had to ask you about. I uh, love the show and love the uh, front office show as well. For the plug-in for you there, uh, you and Keith over there, kill it. Uh, and I just appreciate the content y'all put out. Oh, well, well thank you very much. I, I very much appreciate that. Have a good one. All right. Have a great evening. You too. Bye. Oh, the front office show. Great plug for the front office show. By the way, if you're not listening to the front office show, go check it out. Uh, YouTube.com slash NBA front office. That's uh, where we have the NBA front office show. Keith Smith and I host it and we uh, we covered the entire NBA over there. It's a lot of fun. You can also find us on the podcast feed. Again, just search NBA front office show and you find us um, covering the entire league and um, there are most days, Monday through Friday. We do have occasional days where we aren't able to get together, but like that happened today. But most most of the time, we're there five days a week. Every once in a while, life gets in the way. And sometimes things like that just, just happen. All right, we do have another caller coming in. Um, we did have a positive development there. There was a and one right at the buzzer of Kings and Pelicans. So now the Kings are actually up 97 to 79. 97-79, Kings are up heading into the fourth quarter. Hopefully, they can keep their foot on the gas pedal and they don't do what the Grizzlies did last night against the Clippers. Uh, joining me is Danny. Danny, how are you doing? Danny, are you there? Yes. yes uh, can you hear me? Yep, there we go. Can hear you. How's how's it going? And uh, what are, what's on your mind tonight? It's going good. It's going good. Um, it's good to see that the... Hopefully the Kings keep it up right now, but um, in that game right now. Um, what's going on in my mind is um, with Rui Hachimura, um, I think with him, like, I liked what uh, I think the callers, um, the last caller said that how fans right now are, um, are saying, like, oh, um, like, you know, we're kind of upset with his game, but I, I honestly think that, um, that he's right now, I think, yeah, like what he said about his role. I mm -hmm. feel like it, it really changed when we got uh, Vanderbilt because he's because when he, when we got him, he was starting. But I feel like I feel like his impact, like on the rebounding side of things, is is really impactful. But um, I feel like yeah, it's like the same situation with Kuzma, like with some fans, how they're um, you know. I feel like you know for. Well. Danny looks like you got muted there. I don't know if he if he hit the button. Oh, oh, sorry about that. No worries. Oh, okay. Uh, oh no. Uh, did you hear what I? Um... Yeah, you said it was kind of like you you agreed that it was kind of like Kuzma with the way his role is always changing, and that's where it where it cut off. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I feel the same way, but um, I feel like I feel like he still makes he still makes a he still makes a good impact for like you know his rebounding and I think just having another big body out there is is what is what I like uh, more size because getting like, another guard off when we're very guard heavy yeah. um, during the middle of the season. So, but um, yeah, yeah. This this was a team that badly needed somebody who could play the wing position. And I mean, you could see it. Look, we saw it early in the season where Austin Reeves was playing power forward. I mean, my God, he's six, five and they're asking him to play power forward. It's just, just madness because they were so guard heavy. So just to balance out the roster, you needed more guys who were six, eight and have some versatility to them. And, you know, even if it's just because Rui is six, eight and has a seven, two wingspan, and that makes him more of a presence on the boards, makes him more of a presence when he's closing out on shooters, not saying he's a great defender, but you just, you didn't have that skill set prior to this. So that's something that's useful just in terms of balancing the roster and giving you a guy that's the size and in the, and can play the position that you badly, badly needed. You don't have, a dude who's six five or six four or something when Lonnie's in there trying to box out and defend players that are just much bigger than they are. So Rui, I, I think, does is helpful just in that sense. Just he checks a box that the Lakers really needed checked. Um, and that's why they went out and got him. You know, that was that was why they made the move to to go get him. So I, I am yeah. hopeful that things will will turn around. But the Lakers need him. They need him. There's no question. Yeah. Yeah, I feel the same way. I really hope that um, that next year, yeah, we we definitely keep them. I feel like if we get another wing player. I feel like next year with our, um, we're gonna have a really good um, to start the season, of the full training camp, and um, resigning all our guys and getting. I think yeah, like what you said, like a, I think another wing player will be will be set. Yeah, it's sure. especially because if. One of the benefits of essentially doing the summer shopping now, which I talked about a ton, but doing the sun, summer shopping at the trade deadline. Now, you're not going to go make... Well, okay, I shouldn't say they're not because you never know. I thought the Lakers were going to bring back their team after the 2020-2021 season, and instead they blew it up and went and got Russell Westbrook. So you never know. But, but right now, they are in a position where they can bring back the bulk of this team for next season, which means for the first time... In a few seasons now, next season, the Lakers should be able to hit the ground running. They should be able to have some continuity. There'll be some new players coming in, of course. There's always going to be tinker, tinkering around the margins and all that, and we'll see what happens happens in free agency and everything. But right now, they look to be on a path where you can have the bulk of this current team coming back next season so you're not trying to learn the ropes in training camp and then immediately jumping onto the floor. You already have some continuity you already have some chemistry and you should be able to ideally hit the ground running i think the lakers have been at a disadvantage the last few seasons in part because of that factor they've essentially had a brand new team and hopefully they will finally have that advantage of of continuity next uh next season yes um yeah um i had a question um so with mo bamba uh -huh. yeah I, yeah because i think yeah, i think he tweaked his ankle yesterday um, here at Google. So, um, is there any bigs in the in the market that you have your eyes on that the Lakers should pick up if he's out for some period of time, Trevor? Uh, you mean on the uh, like on the buyout market or the 
or just in free agency. I mean, there's some of the the same old names that we've heard. Boogie Cousins is out there. Myers Leonard, who the Lakers worked out, got picked up. I mean, you can go to Dwight Howard. You can go to somebody like that. Jay Huff was always a name that I was interested in, but he got grabbed uh, by the Wizards. So I, there's nobody that jumps out at me right now. I mean, I guess Boogie would probably be my my number one option, but honestly, I probably it, 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 I'm assuming that the ankle issue isn't. It didn't look terrible. I mean, D'Lo didn't look terrible either, though, and he's missed five games. But yeah. it didn't look terrible for Mobamba. So. If it's me, I'm probably just trying to get by with Wenyon, absorbing those minutes for right now. If you have to bring somebody, I'm probably putting Boogie Cousins at the top of the list just to give him a look. Otherwise, you're turning yeah. to a Dwight Howard. You're turning to like Hassan Whiteside, somebody like that, because your other options, Myers Leonard, Jay Huff, those guys are already, already gone. So uh, not a lot out there. I'm probably just trying to get by with, uh, with Wenyon for the time being. Yeah, um, my last question to you is, um, so uh, while, like, assuming, like, LeBron does come towards, I think, like, the last, let's say, last five games towards the end of the season, uh, where do you, um, which team would you like to see? Because, like, I think if we do finish the seventh, mm -hmm. well, I think we'll face the Grizzlies, right? Uh, so let's say, so if you finish in the seventh seed, you've got to win the first game of the play-in. And then, yeah. yes, you would get the the two seed you would get in, in round one, which uh, as of right now would be the Grizzlies. Now, maybe, I mean, the Kings look like they're about to beat the Pelicans. They'll just be half a game behind Memphis. We'll see how long John Morant is out. The Kings could maybe move up. That's that's possible. Uh, the Suns, now yeah. with Kevin Durant, they've won three in a row. Like, it could change. But I, I think what you're getting to is which team would I prefer to see in round one? Yeah. It's yeah. assuming that, Steven Adams is going to come back and John Morant is going to come back. I would probably prefer to see Sacramento in round one. If the choices are Denver, Memphis, Sacramento, Phoenix, I'd, I'd go with Sacramento and that's not Sacramento has been fantastic. By no means am I saying that would be an easy series or that the Lakers would even be favored in that series. They just have the least yeah. amount of experience. And that's, and that would be the sole reason why I would prefer to see them in round one. Yes. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. I would like to see them in the first uh, first round because I feel like um, I feel like yeah we I feel like our experience will play a big part in it but not just that I just feel like it would yeah it'd be a good matchup and I think it would be a it'll be cool to see with the, the Lakers and Kings because I know the Kings they having a great season this year so yeah I know it would be loud at their at their home that would be that would be. Um, the the cowbells will be dusted off and brought out for sure. That would that would be, that would happen. Yep. Yeah. Well. Um, thanks. Uh, thanks, Trevor. Uh, good talking. No problem. Thank you for for coming on here. I appreciate it. Okay. Night. You too. All right. Let's bring in another caller. We're gonna bring in a few more here throughout the the show. Uh, let's. Uh, Go ahead and we'll bring in, let's go Mamba. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. We'll bring a Mamba mentality. Yeah, if we get Lakers-Kings round one, I think that would be that would be my preference. And I think that's probably true of a lot of Lakers fans to bring in uh, to go up against a team like Sacramento over instead of Phoenix, instead of the Grizzlies, instead of Denver. That would be probably the ideal situation. Doesn't mean you're going to win, but all right, Mamba Mentality coming in. How are you doing? Hello, Trevor. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, what's what's on your mind tonight? Looks like Sacramento in pretty good shape here. Up now 23 against the Pelicans. Up, oh, Ingram just hit a shot. 21 now. But hopefully that winds up being a Sacramento win. Uh, what are you thinking uh, about tonight? Well, I'm still pretty excited about the game we had against the Warriors. And, like, that was a tough game. And uh, we pulled it through, man, without D'Lo, without LeBron. Like, um, I'm really excited for this team. That's what I want to start with. Yeah, had to have a lot of perseverance, right? I mean, you are you were up 20 in the first quarter. That lead goes away. And then you have to battle back, which mentally that's not easy. Like, you're up big and suddenly the other team comes roaring back and it's a one-point lead at halftime. You got to be thinking, uh-oh, are we in trouble here? And the Lakers, they persevered. They fought all the way through. Uh, in fact, even in the fourth quarter, I believe that the Warriors tied it up and the Lakers fired right back. They got hit and they went right back and they, and they pushed to like a seven or eight point lead. They made plays on both ends of the floor. And it was just, it was absolutely fantastic to see this team kind of grow up a bit and find a way to get that win. And there was, there was a determination, I think, that from the Lakers that we didn't see in their previous outing against the Wolves, it felt like the Wolves wanted that game more than the Lakers did. And that was not the case against Golden State. You could feel how badly the Lakers wanted to win that one. So I agree that that's one to definitely be excited about. If you're a Lakers fan, um, was a great, great performance by the purple and gold. Yeah, I thought that way too. But what I, what I can also see is that the Lakers were a little bit gassed from, you know, facing OKC. So even if they were trying, they were trying to match up the Wolves in energy-wise, mm-hmm. but they couldn't for some reason. And I felt like it was that, but they were a little gassed. And uh, they had like a one-day rest, and then they went back on and faced the Warriors. And I felt like they had a little bit more energy. I mean, it's got to be really tough. I, I don't know how they do it. Like, you know, it, like LeBron goes down, uh, D'Lo goes down, and like we're, we're relying on basically our role players, which shows how good we are once we get all of them. But, uh, you know... Oh, they were man. able to keep it up against these uh, legit, legitimate playoff or playing teams. I'm so I'm so frustrated that we don't get to see the whole team right now because we got we got like just a taste of how good this team can be, how exciting they can be, how fun they can be. If you had LeBron and D'Lo in the mix right now, I mean, you're probably winning that Minnesota game, right? I mean, man, that that that's so frustrating that they don't have those guys available currently. Hopefully, D'Lo's back against Memphis. We'll see, but. Um, yeah, I wish yeah. we were. I wish we were getting to see what this team really is right now. Yeah, and they only had like one game together, which is like one game I think, like um, that we were able to play D'Lo and everybody wants to hear or battle on the Lakers for sure. And uh, man, it sucks that we didn't get to see that. Um, one of the other topics I want to talk about is um, what happened during the game. <laughs> you know, I told you I was going to save it till another day, and yeah. this is another day. <laughs> so. Uh- um, one of the things that um, I'm questioning a little bit is um, Ham, um, his timing. I think everybody is right now. Um, 
you cannot sit back and, you know, be a spectator and watch 20-point leads go down to six because he did. And at that time, I felt like he should have called a timeout a little earlier. Like, mm-hmm. when, if the word got down, like, like, you know, took four points off or six points off, that's when you call a timeout. Um, he's got to be a little bit more quicker with those timeouts because, like, a game like that and where you get the way, especially the Warriors fired up, like, they'll, 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 they'll stroll you on that. Yeah, I agree. I think you've got to be quicker. I think there's there's a time for doing the Phil Jackson lesson, right? Where Phil where Phil was like, "Well, I'm not going to save you. You guys dig your own own way out." Right? That's that was Phil Jackson's mindset in terms of why he would just not call timeout and let his team try to figure things out on the fly. There's a time for that, and I think there's uh there's reason to think that long term that can be uh, beneficial to a team, but now's not that time. Now is the time where every single win matters so much. You don't have time for those kind of lessons right now. You can't say, well, figure it out on the fly, and and you guys are going to – no. The coaches have to step in and save the team when things are starting to go poorly, and we're seeing other teams do that, and that's what adds to the frustration is you see OKC doing that. The Lakers will get on a 5-0 run, boom, timeout, regroup, let's figure something out, hit them with a, with a great play, and then go from there. We've seen other teams do stuff like that. And I think the Lakers, while they do it sometimes, they don't do it consistently enough. I, I agree. I would like to see Darvin Ham a bit quicker on the trigger with those timeouts and the adjustments because I don't think you can allow teams to go on major runs and just expect your team to battle back every single time, not when the games are all this important. Yeah, and I think Ham also needed it was a little bit of a stick because I remember now, now I'm remembering – Later on, he matched it up with Steve Kerr because, like, the Lakers went a little bit of a run after being, like, tied, and uh, Steve Kerr called timeout for a play. And after that, Ham also called out for a, a timeout to make a play and, and get the score back up. So that's what Ham should be doing more. I know it's uh, learning on the fly, but um, we, we really got to make this push and uh, go to the playoffs or the play. And so, yeah, um, there's no more, like we said before, there's no margin for errors. Yeah, every game matters just so, so much right now for the Lakers and a number of teams. I mean, the Lakers aren't the only teams in this position. The Pelicans are playing for their playoff lives. The, the Clippers, the, I mean, the the Blazers, the Wolves, all these teams are going to be ramping everything up and giving everything they've got every single game. And so the Lakers have got to find a way to match that and uh, and get the job done. And we'll see if they ultimately can. Yeah. Um, one more thing I want to talk about is – um. What is going on with a Rui shot, man? It's flatter than a table. It is. Like, I feel like if I four boards and just point it at the at the rim, it will be the same trajectory as um as Rui's shot. Like he's got to really get that a little bit of an arc going, I believe. And I know there's a lot of things in the NBA saying like when a player gets drafted, don't change their shot, aka Tyrese Halliburton. Sure. You want to change the shot because he has a little, little jump and a step and a and like you know like his, it was just weird how the way he shot the ball, but. I think Rui, it's time for him to actually like improve and change a little bit of a shot. Cause uh, I was joking around with one of my friends. I was like saying like, if Rui has at least a little bit of a speed bump, kind of like a little arc, just a tiny bit of an arc, he's making most of his shots. So I think that's what he's got to do. And he's, he does got to adjust his shots. Everything it, else he's doing all right. It is too flat. Um, and that's an adjustment you can make. You can ask him to put a little mo- bit more arc on a shot. I think that's fair. If it's anything where uh, structurally with his shot, where you're changing the way he releases the ball or something like that, like making a major adjustment, that's more of an off-season thing because that's going to take a lot of repetition. 
to undo some of that muscle memory because he shot the ball this way for so long. Um, yeah. I, he does give himself a very little margin for error with the way that he shoots the ball, right? If he's off a little bit, it's going to be a miss. Whereas you see, you know, for example, some of the guys that just have a little bit softer touch on their shot, like Kawhi Leonard, doesn't necessarily shoot with a lot of arc, but you do notice a lot of the times, even if he catches the rim, he's got enough arc to where he's getting a friendly roll and then it's going in. You don't see that as much from Rui. So I think that's an adjustment that that needs to be made, that can be made. But the question comes down to, is it something that where you have to change the release, change the way that he shoots the ball? Because if that's the case, that's more something you want to tinker with in the offseason and not necessarily right now because it's just a, it's a it's a much longer process. I don't think it's um, something like that has to be made. I just believe you just have to add a little bit of arc. I mean, the yeah. release form looks nice. He does get a little lift. Uh, it's pretty pretty much, I think, like you said, it probably worked better when it was in high school and college where everybody's around 6'8", even centers. But like the NBA, we got Giants. If he just adds a little bit more arc, he'll be able to make it over players more. And uh, he would have definitely made, uh, make more, more of his shots. Yeah, so. and get and just have a little bit more of a margin for error. If you if you're off a little bit on the shot, you want it to come off the rim a bit softer and ideally settle into the basket. But yeah, like Kyle Leonard, like you said, yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, well, hey, thank you so much for coming on here. I appreciate it. Not a problem. Take care. Hey, you too. Okay, let's bring in another caller. And we'll talk a bit more. Keep an eye on on the Kings and the Pelicans. Aye, the Pelicans just hit a three, but the Kings are still up. Uh, oh no, it was a long two. The Kings are up one sixteen to ninety five, looking good with four thirty to play. We could have a four way tie in the Western Conference with four teams, including the Lakers, all with the exact same record. Uh, Senpai, how are you doing? I'm doing good tonight, Trevor. Like you. Watching this Kings game, hoping they can uh, pull it through over the Pelicans. Yeah, I was uh, I was a bit nervous when they announced De'Aaron Fox was going to be out, but so far so good. Uh, Herder has been going crazy, been hitting all the threes, been great to see. But uh, what's on your mind? What are you thinking about this this uh, Lakers team right now? Yeah, so I wanted to real quick since you guys were just talking about Rui. Um, I think when you actually look specifically at his shooting numbers. Uh, at the rim, he's shooting 65%, which is down from 80% yep. to he was shooting at the Wizards. Uh, and in the mid-range, specifically is the 10 to 16, he's shooting 25%, which is down from 53% on the Wizards. So you look at those numbers, and there's just no way that's sustainable to be shooting that bad. Yeah. Um, the pendulum has to eventually swing the other way. There's going to be some progression to the mean. So I think a, a lot of it, you know, it's, it's, he just has to work it out himself and he'll get back to a happy medium. Yeah. Agreed. I, I think better days lay ahead for, for Rui and shooting the ball. I think the sample size is small with him. And so we're, he's in a bit of a shooting slump right now, but ultimately I think it, it will get better as he comes out of it, which means some good, you know, we're going to go back to his averages at some point, which means there's going to be some really good shooting games coming up. So hopefully that happens sooner rather than later because the Lakers could, could definitely use it. Yeah, exactly. We prefer it for, you know, the games games we need to win now rather than uh, later on. Yeah. But, uh, um, uh, if D'Lo 
comes back tomorrow, I kind of wanted to talk about what the starting lineup's going to look like. Uh, I think given what we've seen from Malik Beasley as of recently, I think it's going to be imperative that uh, Austin Reeves ends up getting inserted in the starting lineup with D'Lo. My main reason for that is because neither Beasley nor D'Lo are good on-ball defenders. We've, it's not, that's just not sure. their game on defense. Um, both of them are better as kind of like off-ball chaser guys. Beasley's actually really good as an off-ball chaser. And uh, so I'm worried about what it could look like going forward if D'Lo and Beasley is the backcourt. It makes a lot more sense to pair up D'Lo with Reeves because uh, Reeves can be your, your primary on-ball defender and then Beasley with Schroeder like they are now and they've actually been pretty good defensively together in the backcourt um, because Schroeder can be your main on-ball defender. Uh, so it, I think that's something that's going to really be something we have to pay attention to um, is the defense going forward in the backcourt. Yeah, I'm I'm in agreement with that. Um, I think part of the part of the allure of starting Beasley is lost when you don't have LeBron on the floor as well, um, because he he really is going to thrive when LeBron's taking all of that attention, right? Like that's that's where a guy like Beasley is going to sneak open. He's gonna he's gonna relocate, and next thing you know, he's getting a wide open look for three. Right now, teams aren't necessarily all that worried about covering uh, everybody else. And so they're able to really lock down on Beasley and try to stop him from shooting threes. I mean, what do you shoot like four threes against the warriors? So uh, some of what Beasley brings is kind of wasted. Although I guess you can argue in the second unit without AD, is he getting better looks there? Maybe against backup players. He does. I don't know. It's something, something to keep an eye on, but ultimately I do like that Reeves and, and D'Lo pairing. I like that you can use Reeves as, uh, as a secondary creator, particularly without LeBron on the floor. I really think that if LeBron's out there, Beasley makes a lot more sense. If he's not, you probably need another ball handler out there. And Reeves then makes sense, particularly since he shoots the ball well from three anyway, just not with the same volume that, that Beasley does. I don't know if Darvin will actually make the change, but I agree with what you're saying, that just conceptually, it it makes sense to go with Austin Reeves. I tend to think Darvin's just going to stick with what he's been doing, though. Yeah, well, I'm hoping that we don't get a uh, D'Lo and Dennis uh, situation, oh, which I have a feeling <laughs> we might end up getting to if he's if he plays tomorrow. I man, I mean, they did okay together in the first game that we saw them. Actually, worked out fairly well. Uh, that was D'Lo's first game back with the Lakers, but I don't. I mean, since making that change, it seems like he's trying to stick with the starting five as best as he can and a bench rotation that makes as much sense as, as it can. So I, man, I, I, I think it's going to be Beasley that sticks in there, but if it's Dennis, ah, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily, I, they looked good one game, but I don't know if I have a lot of faith in that pairing long-term. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the, I'm the same way. It, it looks good in those instances we saw it, but it, I don't think it's by any means ideal, but yeah. I mean, we'll see what Darvin has in store tomorrow. Hopefully, D'Lo plays. I really, I said this on the, the post game show, but I really, really hope the training staff is not looking at this like a game they can win without D'Lo because the Grizzlies—they're not. 
pushovers just no. because they don't have John Morant. No, 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 definitely not, definitely not. And tell you what, I'm a little bit worried about that uh, that team meeting they just had. Um, obviously, oh, yeah. there's there's stuff going on with Jaw and everything, and they were talking about responsibility and all that. But I would have, I mean, not just because of the standings, I would have much preferred the Grizzlies won that game against the Clippers. Um, the standings is part of it, but also because now that they've dropped a game and they have this team meeting and they, you know, everybody getting on each other and all that, you know, they're going to come out extra fired up against the Lakers and they're going to be focused the entire game. I think the Lakers job against the Grizzlies got that much more difficult because of the loss to the Clippers and because the fact that they just had a team meeting where they had the veterans getting on them about, you know, responsibility and all that. Again, the jaw thing is a big part of it, but I think we're going to see a very focused Grizzly side uh, tomorrow. Yeah, I definitely think they're going to get locked in. Um, I wish the Clippers would, or the Clippers would have caught an L there, but they did, I think, give a good blueprint for how um, the, the Lakers should at least tackle playing them. Uh, Ty Jones went crazy in the third, and yeah. then in the fourth quarter, they really started doubling him and getting the ball out of his hands and making other guys uh, create. And that did not go well for the Grizzlies at all. They did not score. I think they scored like 15 in the fourth quarter or something like that. It was it was clear as day how much trouble they had once uh, Tyus started getting doubled and forced the ball out of his hand. So I'm hoping, you know, Lakers staff watch film on that and are planning kind of a similar game plan. Well, and the, and the Clippers did that as well by going small, by pulling Avica Zubats and going small and, and being more switchy and just defending like crazy on the perimeter and trying to force turnovers there and then uh, and at least force long jumpers and then use that to go and run off of them. So that may be something to look at as well. Lakers aren't going to go small and pull Anthony Davis off the floor, but yeah. it will be something to keep an eye on. Do the Lakers try to downsize where, I don't know, maybe it's like a Rui Hachimura who's nominally the five at some point when AD is off the floor and, and you go smaller and see if you can exploit the Grizzlies that way. Yeah, or Vanderbilt at the five minutes sure. as well. Yeah, yep. something something along those lines, I think, uh, could really work well for them. Uh, real quick, this last thing I want to talk about. Um, so I know a lot of people, it's been talked about, like, who are we going to keep? Rui, Troy Brown Jr., Alani, uh-huh. et cetera. Uh, I think what gets lost on a lot of people at times is that the Lakers are a pretty prime destination Um even if we don't get some of those guys back, just like this past free agency and the free agency before, we're going to get solid guys on that minimums. Like we, we got Malik Monk, we got uh, Turbon Jr. this season. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to, we're gonna, especially, you know, people look at the team, they're like free agents are going to look at the team now, they're going to say, oh, the Lakers, uh, they could actually really make a lot of noise next season. I want to be part of it. So even if we end up losing out on a Turbon Jr. and Lottie Walker, I wouldn't panic because there's there's going to be other guys out there to get on that minimums, and the Lakers are going to be uh, front and center to get them. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, and, and and there's not a lot of guys on the market this summer, but I do think that there's also going to be a little bit of a crunch where once the top guys go, you're you know Kyrie, let's say he sticks with Dallas or whatever, James Harden, all these guys wind up uh, signing, and then you get some of the next tier of players who who sign places suddenly. I think the money's going to dry up and there's going to be some opportunities for the Lakers to, to get some bargains. And 
And maybe you're right in terms of, you know, players will be more willing to join the Lakers, especially if they're able to make some kind of a push here. If they get into the play-in and then they look dangerous, there's going to be a positive air around this team. And, and then maybe they do become that much more of a destination in the offseason. So you're right. It is, isn't time to panic if you lose those guys. But I think that's not, wouldn't be the preference either. You'd like to be able to find a way to hang on to some players and have the consistency that comes with them. But we'll see ultimately what they're able to do. Um, as always, man, great, great stuff. Thank you for, for coming on here. Yeah, appreciate you having me, Trevor. Have a good night. You too. All right. We can get a few more in here. We've got a lot, a lot still to talk about. Um, we will go. I'm trying to, trying to make sure everybody gets opportunities here and all that. By the way, guys, if you're if you're listening to the show here, you're here on AMP, make sure you do follow me here at Trevor Lane. Uh, follow the show and then turn on notifications because we're, we're not at the same time. That'll be different in the offseason. We'll be at the same time every week. But right now, we're trying to do non-game nights. We're going to do a midday show um, a little later on Thursday this week. So we're not always going live here at the same time for the call-in. So make sure that you follow the show, turn on no notifications. That way you know when the show is on, you can pop in, listen, you can jump in and chat, um, and uh, and we can go from there. So, again, if you're listening to the show right now, you're over on AMP, make sure you go ahead and click that follow button and, and you follow along with the show and then turn on your notifications as well. That way you get notified when the show does start up. I do try to schedule them in advance, but typically I look for a non-game day to do these call-in shows. Uh, let's see. I've got... At Lakers fan, we'll see if they can make it in. By the way, official, the Pelicans lose to the Sacramento Kings. So here's how this looks right now. There are four teams in the Western Conference that are 31 and 34. The Jazz, the Blazers, the Lakers, and the Pelicans. And due to tiebreakers, they are ranked in that order. The nine seed is Utah. The 10 seed is Portland. The 11 seed is the Lakers. And the 12 seed is the Pelicans. You know what that means? That pick swap. If things stay like this, or if the Lakers surge ahead of the Pelicans, even better, the pick swap has zero value. Think about that. That pick swap that we've been talking about all season, if the Lakers finish ahead of the Pelicans, and right now they are sitting one spot ahead of them, that pick swap has no value because the Pelicans aren't going to execute a pick swap to get a worse draft pick. Now, of course, you get into the play-in. If we're talking lottery, the Lakers pick could, could move up if you don't wind up getting into the playoffs and, and all of that. So I'm not saying we're out of the woods here yet. But as of right now in the standings, the Lakers are sitting one spot ahead of the Pelicans. If that is the way it looks after the draft lottery, then the pick swap that the Pelicans currently have would have no value to them. So now I'll also say that when you get this close, when the Lakers are, are one slot ahead and they're, they're right there and everything. Um, look, if it's, if the Lakers finish with, I don't know, the 17th pick in the draft, the Pelicans have the 18th pick. Okay. The Pelicans will move up one spot and take them. So it may not matter that much, obviously, but still, I think it would be kind of nice for the Lakers to go into the draft, not having to worry about a pick swap at all. 
And I think it also helps a little bit with just the value from the Anthony Davis trade. Cause you can look and say, well, Oh, the Pelicans got a pick swap in this situation, but didn't wind up mattering at all. So, uh, bringing in Sid, the kid. Welcome in Sid. How are you doing? Good Trevor. It's a uh, pretty weird churn for a team that's in the Lakers division with the Kings. But <laughs> right. If it gives the Pelicans a loss, it's all good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. As long as, as long as the Pelicans lose, that's that's going to be a good thing for the Lakers. Um, there's going to be some awkward games coming up where, like, I think the Celtics play the Blazers pretty soon. Yep, they do. They play them on Wednesday. That's going to be a little bit gross because it's very much in the Lakers' best, best interest for the Celtics to win that game. That'll be a little bit awkward, More, even more awkward than having to root for the Kings to beat the, the Pelicans tonight. Yeah, that's for sure. I always hate seeing the Celtics win, but uh, if it helps the Lakers move up in the play-in or playoff standings, then it's always a good thing for them. Yes. But, uh, yeah. A um, couple things I wanted to share tonight. First off, I wanted to get your opinion. I have a real. I don't want to speak this into existence because mm-hmm. I really want to see him play, but I'm really worried that this questionable tag on D'Angelo Russell is more like a let's see him pregame, but mm-hmm. he's not going to play and they're going to push him one more game. And I just feel like normally when players have questionable tags, it's more like a we're being cautious, but means that they're one game away. But I, I feel really worried that that's what they're going to do is they're going to come out saying, no jaw, we don't need D'Lo tonight. Let's keep him fresh for a game that comes up next versus Toronto and New York, but it's my gut feeling and I don't like it. Yeah, that, that very well could be the case, um, particularly because he's moved up in what was what in their designation to questionable from being out to questionable. Um, who knows? I, ideally, what you want to hear is sometime tomorrow morning, maybe early afternoon, we hear that D'Angelo Russell has been upgraded to probable. That's, that's ideally what you want to hear. Questionable, we're they may say he's a game time decision or something like that. And they'll let him warm up. And then we'll find out 30 minutes before uh, the, the tip, whether or not he's actually going to go. But I agree. I'm a little bit worried that he may not wind up playing tomorrow, but fingers crossed. Hopefully we see him on the floor because they, they certainly need him. Yeah. It, it just the ball. Hand. I mean, Reeves did well with eight assists last game, but I feel like he's more of a scorer slash uh, Swiss Army knife, and yeah. he really is just a straight ball handler. So it would be good to have D'Lo back. But uh, I just—it's—it's it's been hard to not see him out there, considering he was one of the bigger pieces in the trade deadline. Yes, Vando's been doing well and all that, but I feel like D'Angelo Russell was the bigger piece that was supposed to get the ball rolling and take some heat off of LeBron. But yeah, he's certainly the bigger name too. I mean, he's been an All Star. I mean, Vando's been great. Vando's impact has been tremendous. But D'Lo, I mean, even just looking at the contract, he's he should be the guy to do a lot of the heavy lifting there. And, um, you know, they've needed a shooting. They need a shooting. They need his ball handling. And and so hopefully, hopefully he can get back out there against Memphis. Yeah. Uh, one one last point that I wanted to bring up, and I, uh, I've been seeing all the Rui slander. I wouldn't really call it slander, but the disappointment in Rui. And I yeah. feel like... I'm going along with everybody else. He's more of like the Kyle Kuzma doesn't really have a real role, but I feel like when he was brought into the team, 
it was he wasn't expected to be this huge scorer. He was expected to give eight to 13 points and just be this little punch off the bench that they eventually wanted to see as a starter. But he was supposed to be just like a, a punch off the bench, give some scoring while LeBron's off the floor. But now with LeBron out and Vando and all of them coming in, he doesn't really have that. Like with LeBron out, they're expecting him to score more than what he was expecting. So I feel like the added pressure maybe on Rui is kind of getting to him, especially with the Lakers spotlight, that it's kind of he's struggling with it. But like when LeBron was on the floor and they were playing together, he he wasn't playing bad. He, he was averaging 18, uh, not 18. He was averaging like 12 to 13. And yeah. he was playing really well along LeBron. And then he went out and the scoring was expected to, jump up and I don't think he was ready for that at that moment. Well, and I, I think the the scoring too is going to be the loudest part of a player's game, particularly a player like him. And so if he's not scoring well, that's going to lead to more frustration from fans who don't who you know, and it's fair because look, I don't even notice it as, as much, right? I'm not going to I'm going to notice if a guy has a hot shooting streak and, and puts in 25 points more than I'm going to notice. Hey, that guy did a really nice job rotating on that on that defensive closeout or that guy really hit his box out well. Like that's going to take a second watch for me to pick up on on a lot of that stuff. And so the, it just doesn't jump out as much. But you notice, oh, my gosh, he's two for nine this game. He's one for five. Oh, my gosh, he's three for 14 in the last two games. And you know, and all of that, that's the kind of stuff that's going to really stand out and cause people to react uh, to what we're seeing from Rui. But, but you're right in that what Darvin Ham has stressed to him is I need you to rebound. I need you to defend. I need you to contest shots. I need you to do these things and just be six, eight, use that seven, two wingspan and do stuff that way. So I think ultimately the shot will come around, but it's not the Lakers. It would be nice if he was putting up 20 points a night and he was hitting everything and all that but that doesn't seem to be what the Lakers are asking him to do right now. So it's hard to fault him. And I think when you look at what he's done, the shots are going to fall eventually. I think right now we're just in a shooting. Essentially he's in a five game shooting slump. That's, that's what we're seeing right now. Five games where he's not shot the ball. Well, and you know, hopefully he breaks out of that sooner rather than later. Yeah. Well, and we were saying the same thing about Beasley when he came over is that he went like, Oh, for six. And then all of his threes, he made like five of 10 versus Portland, but it was in garbage time. And we were like, Oh, is he really going to just bomb? And he's not going to be the shooter that we expect. And Mm -hmm. now he's, he's not shooting as many as we were thinking, but he's still hitting an average amount to at least keep the defense honest. So I feel like with D'Lo coming back, maybe being able to drive and kick gives Rui that chance to do the pump fake off the kick out and get that 15 footer or so that he's so comfortable with. Maybe Dilo will open up more shots for him. And more room in general is good for him. He doesn't have a very quick release. Like if you watch Troy Brown Jr.'s release compared to Rui Hachimura's, it looks like Rui is moving in slow motion and Malik Beasley even more so, which they're, they're very different players, but um, he needs a little bit more space. Now he uses that, that size and this wingspan in order to help him get off shots. But like, if you're going to ask him to be a spot up three point shooter, he needs a little bit more time. It's part of why we see him attack the closeout more and put the ball down in addition to him liking the mid range shot, but he's not a quick release guy. So a being on the floor and ideally attracting, attracting a little bit more defense might give him a beat or two more to get that shot off and, and get it off a little bit more comfortably 
Uh, certainly LeBron being on the floor would be the ideal situation, but I do wonder if D'Angelo Russell is going to have that kind of positive impact on Rui because he's going to buy him a little bit, even if it's just a fraction of a second, more time to actually release his shot. Yeah, and uh, one last point. You could probably answer this while bringing another caller on, but uh, I feel like D'Angelo Russell, I really hope that they keep the starting lineup the same, just minus LeBron putting in Troy Brown. So you got D'Lo, Beasley, Vando, Troy Brown, mm-hmm. and AD, just to keep that chemistry that they had going. Obviously, LeBron's a big piece, but I feel like getting D'Lo back into the swing of things with a group that he's comfortable with would probably help speed up that process of him coming back. But Trevor, I love everything you do. Appreciate you having me on again. It's really fun talking Lakers basketball, especially on an off day when we <laughs> don't have a lot of Lakers stuff to watch. But it's always it's always good talking Lakers basketball with you. So thank you. Well, hey, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Good stuff. Thanks. Have a good night. You too. All right. So, yeah, I, I do agree with that. I think that ultimately that's probably what Darwin will do to try to keep the lineup the same. Now, Senpai brought up the, brought up the comment earlier about Austin Reeves. I think big picture... I'll probably still start Austin, particularly I think Malik Beasley's value is decreased a little bit just because teams are able to, to lock down on him so much. Although you could argue the process of locking down on Beasley and preventing him from getting those looks opens things up in the middle for Anthony Davis. So that's something there. But I do think ultimately, yeah, he'll keep the, the rotation the same. D'Lo slide in for Schroeder and Troy Brown will continue to take LeBron's spot and off they go. And that's probably what we will see there. All right. We'll we'll do we'll do one more here. We've got enough time. Bring in another caller before we uh, before we call it an evening. Coming in, we've got Dan the man. Dan, how are you doing? Hey, doing well, Trevor. How about yourself? Uh doing well. You know, I I've been keeping track every day of uh, what the Lakers need to happen here. What what Lakers fans should be rooting for, and I'm just looking today. We went two for three. The, the Celtics lost and the Pelicans lost. So I think we'll take it. We'll, we'll take that, right? Two for three. Not bad. Would have been better if the Blazers had lost, but, you know, not going to get everything. Yeah, definitely. I saw that I saw that tweet exchange you had with, uh, with Keith about how it's surprising you how some Celtics fans, or sorry, some Laker fans just don't have that hatred for the Celtics like some of us do. And it's, it's so true. I ran into a guy at... Um, at a gas station where I, he, I asked him, like, hey, who are, you, who are you going for in the finals? And he had a Laker hat on, so I figured, oh, he's going to say the Celtics. And no. I mean, he's, he's he going to say the, the Warriors, but he actually surprisingly said the Celtics. Wow. Oh, this, this is tough. Yeah, it's uh, I, I've been called old a bunch today because of that, that it's that it's only the old guys that, that still have any animosity towards the Celtics, that it's been – decades since the Lakers Celtics rivalry rivalry has mattered. I'm like, they just played in 2010. And then I remember, Oh yeah, 2010, I guess was a while ago, but um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I put that in there all the time. Just, I, I put in that the, I'd like to see the Celtics lose just cause I feel it's, you know, it, it's something that is just kind of inherent to Lakers fans, to Lakers fandom that you don't want to see good things happen for the, the Boston Celtics. But uh it's interesting how many fans are not of that mindset. Like I ran a couple of polls, one on Instagram and one on Twitter. Both of them came out with fans. The one on Twitter was much closer, but like 20 plus thousand votes on, on this poll. And it was the Clippers slightly ahead as the most disliked team for Lakers fans. 
which I, I was a little bit surprised. Maybe I shouldn't be, though, just because of proximity and, and all of that. Yeah, I... I, I don't know. I, I still have the hatred for the Celtics. Uh, so, so I'm right there with you. I, uh, Ash Paul Pierce, you know, going in a wheelchair and somehow magically coming out, just it it still infuriates me. Um, but um, anyway, um, you know, uh, listening to the whole show, you do a great job. Everyone asks a lot of questions, um, you know, that I had. So thanks for doing such a great job for, for us you. fans, you know, being able to chat and, um, I guess my only question is, since I'm going to the game tomorrow for for Gasol's uh, jersey retirement, yeah. I wanted to, off the top of your head, you know, all I have to ask is, is there like a, a memory that jumps out to you, a favorite memory for Gasol's time with the Lakers? Uh, from Pau, you know, I, th- one of the things that was impressive to me with Pau was how there was that in- uh, instant chemistry. I don't recall who they were playing. I want to say it was like the Wolves or something like that. It was Pau's first game as a Laker. And he put up, it was like 24 and 12 or something like that in his first game and just had that instant chemistry with Kobe. There was no, you know, we talked about the reacclimation period or a little early in the show where when LeBron comes back, the Lakers are going to have to adjust to that a little bit. And that's just kind of what typically happens. It's like there was no adjustment period for, for Pau Gasol. Um, but the biggest, the thing that I think of the most, because that, that definitely stands out, how instant the chemistry was with Kobe. But the one that stands out the most was really just the power that we saw in the 2010 NBA Finals. Because in 2008, when the Lakers lost to the Celtics, uh, Powell kind of got bullied. Hey, he really did. They, they beat up on him, the Celtics mm-hmm. did. And so to get that revenge and to see Powell uh, really come back with that aggression, that just that physicality that he didn't always have. He was one of those guys who got accused of being soft pretty often. And so to see him mm-hmm. become the aggressor in that matchup and say, no, you're not doing this to me this time, this time it's going to be different this time. I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to uh, be the one to put you guys away. And he did. And he was absolutely phenomenal. And so that I think just his demeanor, that series and seeing him take his lumps a couple years earlier, not forget it, learn from it, grow from it, and then come back and execute that next that next time they saw the Celtics in the finals, that I think will always be the thing that stands out the most to me about Powell. Yeah, that that's that's for sure a great one. And I, I always admired that about him too. Like there's that I don't know if you remember it's a it's a small little exchange with um when um Chris Paul was playing for the Clippers and like he like patted yes, Chris Paul pat him on the head. <laughs> I, I, I love that. I mean, there's so many good memories, but yeah, I just thought of that. And like you said, those instances where, yeah, they, they, they treated him like, you know, you know, he wasn't as, as, uh, as tough as the other guys, but I, I admire his, his ability to come back and yeah. Um, I, I, that's all I got to say. I appreciate everything you do. Well, thank you very much. I, I definitely appreciate it. All right. Take care. Have a good night. All right. You too. Have a good one. All right, everybody. I appreciate everybody who called in. I know I did not get to to everyone, but got through uh, as many as we could. A lot to go over tonight. Again, we do have the Pau Gasol uh, jersey retirement ceremony coming up when the Lakers take on the Grizzlies. Great timing, considering the Grizzlies were Pau Gasol's previous team before joining the Lakers. Um, And then this is a big game. Big game. The Lakers can get a win against a Ja Morant-less Grizzlies squad. 
that would be absolutely huge in the standings. Again, right now, there is a four-way tie in the Western Conference, and the Lakers are right in the thick of that. So a win tomorrow against Memphis would be massive for your Los Angeles Lakers. But again, thank you, everybody, who joined me over on AMP and called in live to the show. Appreciate it. Those of you who are watching over on YouTube, make sure you are subscribing there and make sure that you turn on notifications as well. And podcast listeners, give us that five-star rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. Till next time, everybody. See ya and stay safe.